WGBB Sports Talk Flashback. I'm joined by the hitting coach for the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Yankees and a former Yankee himself, Butch Weiniger. And he's the hitting coach, of course, uh, for the AAA Scranton Wilkes-Barre Yankees. Butch, pleasure to talk to you. How you doing? I'm doing outstanding. I appreciate you having me. I look forward to it. No problem, Butch. I'll tell you what. I have Here's on three, a little curveball to start off. You started your career in Minnesota in 77, runner-up to uh, uh, Mark Fitterich in uh, the Rookie of the Year. But I want to know, the target field is opening next year. No dome, Minnesota, the cold. You played, I believe, in uh, the old uh, Met. Mm-hmm. How the heck are those guys going to play in April and October and, God forbid, November? Well, it's, it's funny you, you bring it up. First of all, I'm kind of in my heart. I'm kind of glad to see him getting back to the outdoor dome. It kind of reminds you of the old Metropolitan Stadium. Uh, before I was traded to the Yankees, I did not like playing in the Metrodome uh, every night. And so when I was traded, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a big disappointment to me. I just got done talking the other day to J.J. Uh, Hardy, who was just traded over to the um, Twins, who I had over in Milwaukee. And we talked about that, too. And he said that was his one worry about the coldness in April and uh, early part of May and even into September and everything and how he's going to handle that. So that will be an adjustment for him. Yeah, and I remember Brian Hunter, who played for the Braves, was on the show, and we were talking about that 91 World Series. And I said, how is it playing the old Metrodome? It's funny you bring it up. He, he just kept talking about the roof. And I know you weren't an outfielder, but even as a catcher, those pop-ups and playing in that place, uh, it was a great home field, though, I'm sure, because it was always so loud. It was. I mean, the fans in Minnesota are tremendous. And, uh, you know, I've always been a twin at heart. That was my first team I ever played for. But the fans up there, you know, typical Midwestern fans, they love the twins. They're great people. Uh, the Metrodome itself, I remember coming back in as a visiting player with the Yankees when Billy Martin was the manager. And we'd go out early, and he'd make everybody take pop-ups just to try to get used to the uh, roof. And back then, when it was pretty new, the, the roof was almost a pure white. So if you took your eyes off the ball at all at any time, you, you, you just lost it. You couldn't pick it up again. So that was one, I think that was one of the home field advantages that the Twins would have playing in there every night. And, and for me, I started watching baseball in you know the, the mid-'80s, and I'm thinking, you know, there's not really many turf stadiums anymore. The Metrodome's going. I guess Toronto, obviously. Um, I remember thinking back, St. Louis had one. Um, you know, it, it's it's kind of like a dinosaur now, and, and – you know that that's difficult too for you guys when you know again you're a catcher, different type of toils on the body. But um, are you happy to see that kind of go? Yeah, I kind of am. I mean, I was kind of torn because as a hitter, you liked it. Uh, you know, as a catcher, working with your pitchers and everything, you knew the pitchers hated it. But I remember the old Kansas City teams and everything with the speed that they had, and uh, you know Frank White and uh, Willie Wilson, and you know guys that could just just fly, and they just put the ball on the ground and just beat balls out, and they just they just ping you to death. But uh, I, I kind of am. I, I like the old turf, um, just uh, old school, I guess you'd say. And I know that the Scranton field that we just moved into three years ago there in, in AAA used to be artificial, used to be AstroTurf. And then when we took it over, the Yankees, I mean, that uh, they ripped it out and put in grass. Yep. So uh, I, I am. I'm kind of old school, and I like the grass turf. You picked the wrong season to have, uh, you know, your rookie season and break in. I mean, look, you had an outstanding season, but it was the uh, Mark Fitterich show. Um, you would have been rookie of the year. You know, what do you remember about breaking in? I mean, that's that's quite a. I mean, look, finishing runner-up to Mark Fitterich, nothing to uh, nothing nothing to uh, be upset about. It really wasn't. Uh, you know, I didn't get to know Mark, you know, personally that well and everything, but I faced him um, 
just, just a tremendous entertainer on the mound. I mean, he had good stuff. He kept the ball down well, sinker slider type guy. Talked to the ball, down on his hands and knees, patting dirt on the mound and everything. And he just packed the house. Uh, people were calling the front office, wanting to know if Mark Fidgish was throwing that series and when he was throwing. And it was, it was a call. I mean, they just really packed the house for Mark. So, you know, I was 20 years old and I was just, Elated. I was just humbled that, you know, I was even a big leaguer at 20 years old. So, you know, to lose out to Mark Fidrich that year, that, that wasn't a big disappointment. I was just so happy and uh, just honored just to be a major league player at 20 years old then. And in those early years, you played in back-to-back All-Star games. And I, I looked at the, the box scores, and I'm like, wow, you had a chance. You were the third-string catcher, but you were behind Carlton Fisk and Thurman Munson, uh, two great catchers. I mean, did you have a chance in those games? I know that back then maybe the fraternizing wasn't the same as it is today, but to pick those guys' brains and learn at a young age from, from two of the best? Yeah, I tell you what, I was scared to death. I, you know, I'm going to be flat out honest with you. I was over my head there. I was, I was, I was nervous. And, uh, I, I talked to them, yeah, but I surely didn't pick their brains or anything. I was there with Rod Carew, who was with me at the time with the twins. So I was, I was kind of Rod's shadow. Where Rod went, I went, because I had no clue what was going on. Rod had been there many a times. So I knew I couldn't go wrong if I followed him around. So I pretty much just kept my mouth shut and did the things I was supposed to do. And uh, and that was it. But that that's two great honors that I am very very tickled with and everything. And I still have both my All Star rings. I don't I only wear them in the off season now and then with my wife when we go out. But uh, I, it does get noticed once in a while, and people are pretty uh, they're pretty in all of it when they see it and everything. So uh, I, I just don't wear a lot of jewelry. But that was those are two tremendous uh, accomplishments I did have. Yes. And you got a hit and a walk in the All Star game. Look, great <laughs> great hitters go over in the All Star game. So is that your memory getting on base? I mean, what do you what do you take away from those two years? Well, my first my first year I, I didn't play, and I was I was sitting down in the dugout about the seventh inning, and uh, Gene Mock, my manager at that time, I see him walking towards me, and he taps me on the knee, and he goes, "You're going to hit for Louis Tiant this inning." And I'm scared to death, but uh, I went to the plate. It was in uh, it was in Philadelphia, and I grew up in York, Pennsylvania, so I knew all the people back home were watching. Somehow, I, I, I worked a walk off the count, Count Montefusco, who I ended up playing with with the Yankees. So that was my um, I sprinted to first base like I was I was Pete Rose, and uh, so that was my recollection of that first year. The second year, I got to catch uh, I think about four innings in in Yankee Stadium. Um, catching Billy Campbell, who was one of my relievers with the Twins. I caught Sparky Lyle. And uh, I got my first hit off of Tom Seaver, a bouncer between first and second in the in the right field. So uh, I can always say I was one for two with a walk in the All-Star game and uh, be very proud of that. Yeah, and then you go to the Yankees. So when you went to the Yankees, I mean, Thurman, obviously, by the time you had gotten there, had passed on. Cerrone uh, was there. I know that, you know, for quite a while until Posada, really, um, they never – filled the catcher's position. There was always that, that shadow. How right. was it going to the Yankees, having a little bit of that Thurman shadow? Cerrone was on the show last year, talked a little bit about it. He was like, hey, I'm Rick Cerrone. I'm not going to worry about it. For you, how was that coming to New York? Well, it, it, i tell you what. I grew up a Yankee fan. My dad was a huge Yankee fan. Uh, of course, then I became a Yankee fan. Mickey Mantle was my idol, and uh, he was the reason why I became a switch hitter. I wanted to be like Mickey. So, when the time came, I knew a trade was going to happen. I didn't know where. And when I was told New York, it was just like, you got to be kidding me. Uh, you know, I'm going to play for the Yankees. And I still remember the first time I put the Yankee pinstripes on, standing in front of the mirror for probably 15 minutes at least, just admiring myself and everything because I grew up with the pinstripes. 
And um, it was just like, it was, it was something really at that time, it was, it was hard for me to fathom. Yeah. And, I, and I know just walking out on the field, how people just looked at you different. Even in the Yankee Grays on the road, you could see people just staring at you. They didn't know who the heck you were maybe at the time or, or right away, but it was like, you're wearing a Yankee uniform, you must be somebody. Wow. And, uh, you know, real quickly, I know I spent four years in Milwaukee as the major league hitting coach, and my wife used to she'd tell me she, people would ask during the season when I was gone, what's Butch doing now? And she would tell them, and they'd go, oh, that's nice. That's that's pretty good for him. When I became triple-A hitting coach with the Yankees, and she tells people now, oh, yeah, well, Butch is working, uh, he's a triple-A hitting coach with New York Yankees, they go gaga. Wow. And it's just like the difference between the triple-A Yankees and a major league Milwaukee Brewer is such night and day to, the, to people. That's just how much, you know, the Yankee aura and everything have on people. And I, I tell you, I'm, I'm very privileged to be back with the Yankees right now. And you, look, you're a part of Yankees lore. Um, it's funny, back on July 4th, we did a show about classic 4th of July games. Of course, the Met game in 85 mm -hmm. against the Braves. But you were part of the Rigetti no-hitter, which we were talking about, which doesn't really get as much play uh, as a classic 4th of July game. But a no-hitter, uh, I mean, look... Tell us, when you got out of the bullpen that day, would you have thought just a few hours later that you'd be part of history? No. I mean, it's something you don't really think about and everything. But I know back in, uh, what, 2007, the 25th anniversary of it, and I got numerous calls and everything to do radio things. And it still seemed like it still seems like there's a, there's a lot of talk about it every time July 4th does roll around, especially being Mr. Steinbrenner's birthday and everything. But uh, – no, I, I, you know, I, I will be honest. I did, I did, sus not, I didn't suspect a no hitter, but I knew early in the game. I remember telling myself, man, Dave, Davey's got some pretty good stuff today, and uh, you know, Rags had a pretty, had a good arm anyway. But uh, for some reason, he had all four of his pitches working today. And I remember as the game went on, I'm going, man, we're, we're able to use all of his, all of his pitches. He could throw them all for strikes today. Hey, you know, we have a chance to win this game today. And and I'll be honest, that was the biggest thing on my mind was was beating the Red Sox that day. Because it was Mr. Steinbrenner's birthday. <laughs> yeah. And that's what was going through my mind. And I know guys tease me nowadays and everything when I tell them that. And they go, you were looking for the no-hitter. And I said, well, that would have been nice, but that wasn't forefront on my mind. But Davey had real good stuff that day. That was just a day that was a pleasure to catch a, catch a guy. Cause it didn't matter what I put down, really. He was going to throw strikes with it. And, and we beat a pretty good Red Sox team that day. And, uh, you know, Still had the ring from that also. We had rings made up for that, and uh, Mr. Steinbrenner bought watches and everything. So that was that was really a special day. It was one of my biggest biggest uh, you know, feats that I, that I really do recall on a lot. And I was asking a, a, an author who we were talking about the game, and I said, do you remember any close calls? He's like, maybe one, but not really. Was there any close calls, close hits? What, what, what do you remember of that? No, you know, really there wasn't. I remember Steve Kemp went up into the right, let's see, I guess down the right field line in the stands to make a catch in foul territory, up uh, leaping up into, uh, against the wall and everything, foul. Uh, it wouldn't have hurt anything if he didn't catch it, but he made a nice catch on it. But other than that, and I, and I, I've, I haven't really ever sat down and watched the whole game. I've seen bits and pieces of it, but I remember people telling me also that they don't remember anything that was really, you could say, was just a, you know, 
man, that was a game saver, or that was a play that you know that really saved the game, or anything. And I, I think that was a tribute to the, the stuff that they've had that day. What about like how you call the game? Now Bog strikes out to end the game. Mm-hmm. Do you change? I mean, that's a, that's. A, I mean, that in itself amazes me with the Bogs up there. <laughs> um, did you change your game calling at all because it's a no hitter? Are you guys whether it was you know shutout, no hitter, whether it was a one run game? Are you kind of like on? on whatever your game plan is. It, you know, it's the same thing I talk to catchers nowadays about and pitchers about. You, you always go to your strengths. And, you know, Davey was a power pitcher. He was a fastball slider guy, but he also had a curveball and changeup. And that's why I was saying that particular day, Davey was throwing his curveball for strikes. We were able to mix in some changeups uh, that had the hitters off balance a little bit and everything. And I think it was a day that the, the Red Sox hitters were not quite – you know, they were getting some pitches that they weren't normally getting from Dave, and he kept them off balance pretty good. But we had our scouting report. You know, we you know we we had an idea how to go against Armis and how to go against Jimmy Rice and Boggs and R- Ramey and you know and Reed Nichols. I mean, all the guys were in the lineup that day. So it was it was this is what this is what Ragsy's got for him today. This is what I'm going with. The one thing I do remember from the game is coming out in the top of the ninth inning. Steve Palermo was the home plate umpire. And when I got the home plate and caught Dave's warm-up toss and threw down the second, I turned around to Steve, and he looks at me, and he goes, Butch, why didn't you tell me he had a no-hitter going? And wow. I said, come I, Steve and I were, were close. We talked a lot during the game. And he's, I said, come on, Steve. You knew. He goes, Butch, I swear to you, all these people got up cheering. And I said, what's going on here? And I, it's the first time he looked at the scoreboard and saw that it was a no-hitter going. And that's how much he was into the game. And I always remembered that because I had no reason to believe Steve was yanking my chain or anything. And he didn't know he had a no hitter going. Wow! But it, was, it was just a, it was just a, it was a perfect day. Ragsy just he threw. I think he threw 130 some pitches. If I don't recall, I mean, you don't see many pitchers today, you know, especially in the minor leagues, go that high anymore and everything. But when he when he struck out Boggs to end the game, Roy Smalley told me at shortstop. He said, "When I saw you put down the two two slider, he said I knew we had him." And wow. I still I still remember the glove, the, the, the swing, and the ball hitting my glove. And that's when I jumped up. I'm a very reserved kind of guy, but that and I couldn't I couldn't hold that one back. And that's when I rushed out the Ragsy and and I looked at him and he just kind of went limp. He was limp in my arms. He was tired, and you just see the weight of the world just fell right off his shoulders when that when Bob struck out. And you're on the Yes Network at least uh, once every Yankees game because they play that during the commercials. So you can always turn on a Yankee game and see yourself, and I, I, I could think of that. And I'm also thinking as you're talking, as you mentioned Palermo, as a catcher, you know, the relationship with the umpire, not that, you know, look, with, you know what, you need any advantage you can with the corners and, mm-hmm. and pulling a game. That's got to be something that uh, as, a, as a longtime catcher, as you went along in the league, you probably were were smart to develop, right? You know, to to kind of work with these guys a little bit. Well, number one, my personality is such and everything that I wanted to treat umpires like human beings. And the other thing that was in the back of my mind is I always kind of took pride in hitting, and I I I knew I had to hit four times that game too. So I knew if I made enemies of them behind the plate catching, I may not get that close call that I want. You know, when I'm hitting, but. You know, I, I, I really did. I, I, my number one priority, and, I, and it's the same thing I've talked to catchers about today, is you, you try to work the umpires. You find out their name. You call them by their first name. You, you, you try to you, you talk to them without turning around and showing them up and just, you know, ask them to look at it a little closer next time or where did you have that. I mean, there's a way to talk to umpires to try to – because they're human, and they're out there doing the best job they can, but – Sometimes, you know, they might have a bad day, too, just as you do at the plate or on the field. 
but yeah, there, there's a, there, for me, there, you know, there's a, there's an art of working with the umpires and, and being honest with them. And I was always honest with them. They'd ask me, they said, Butch, where'd, where'd you have that pitch? I'd tell them, I said, I had a couple inches outside. They go, okay. Or I'd tell them, I, I thought I was on the black right there. I thought it might have been a pretty good pitch. I tried to stay honest with them because I wanted them to be able to talk to me, just as I wanted to be able to talk to them. And I'd say probably about, I don't know, 90% of them, I was, you know, you were able to do that with. You always had your couple guys who maybe, it was a little tougher. Some of the older, maybe more veteran guys have been around a little longer. But I remember Timmy, Tim McClellan, who's still umpiring in the big leagues now. Uh, he was one of my favorites. Kenny Kaiser, an ex-wrestler. We got along great. We had we had great times behind the plate and everything, and that, that made the game go along a lot better, too. Another thing that I found uh, ironic is I didn't realize you caught Phil Necro. I, I'm sure you maybe you caught Joe when he was there briefly, mm-hmm. but 3,000 strikeout, Necro's 300th win. I, I just, uh, you know, there's not many knuckleballers left. There's Wakefield, and I just find right. it amazing. Not only did you catch this thing, I'm just always intrigued why more pitchers haven't, uh, taking it up because I think it, look look at Wakefield he's going to be 45 at the end of his next contract yeah. and he's still going to be pitching I mean talk about the knuckleball and Necro and and really just how the heck did you catch that thing because today you need special catchers just for these guys yeah they uh, it's uh it's it's different I mean I remember uh, I can't remember when Phil came over to the Yankees but I remember getting a phone call that winter uh, from I can't remember who called me from the Yankee front office but they asked me if I'd ever called a knuckleballer before. And I said, no. And they said, would you be willing to try? And I said, sure. Who are we talking about? And they said, well, we have a chance to get Phil Necro. And I said, well, I said, by all means, get him. I said, well, I'll, I'll do my best. And I don't know if you asked Rick Sarone when you talked to Rick, but Ricky and I were over here at the time, and it, it kind of became a, a battle. Every time Phil threw a side, a, a side uh, session or through BT in spring training, either Rick or I would catch him. Well, it turned out that for some reason I, I, I handled Phil a little bit better or whatever. And, uh, Jeff Torborg, our, our bullpen coach, um, got me a big knuckleball glove, big black knuckleball glove that I used for the years that I caught Phil. And I was pretty much his, his caddy. Every time Phil threw a bullpen, I caught him. Whenever he threw in a game, I mean, I was catching. And it, it became something that, uh, Phil, he, he threw his knuckleball soft enough and everything for the most part that, you kind of got a feel after a while what the ball was going to do, but it was definitely you had to try to catch in a different way than you did, you know, Rigetti or Gidry or Tommy John, and you couldn't go out and get it. You had to let it come to you. But I'm telling you, it was uh, <laughs> there were some harrowing experiences back there with him and everything, but uh, Joe was the one that always scared me because Joe had much better arm strength, and Joe's the one that threw his knuckleball much harder, and he's probably the one pitcher that I caught that I can honestly say, scared the crap out of me. And uh, there was times where I walked to the mound and just for my own personal safety, I just asked him, I said, do you think maybe you could throw that thing a little bit softer? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. but it did. It, it literally scared me because it moved so much and he threw it so hard that it's a long run back to that backstop in Yankee Stadium. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, it had to feel good. You're a hitting coach now. You were with Milwaukee for four years and, and, and with the Scranton Yankees now. Um, you saw guys like Brett Gardner, Melky Cabrera, Cervelli take part in this recent World's Championship. I was actually in Scranton covering a game in 08 in August. I remember Melky was down there after he got sent down and and, and look, uh, you're the hitting coach down there. It's not easy job. You got you know guys who are probably you know in AAA not always wanting to be there, and young players who are trying to get to the next level. And in Melky's case, he was sent down. Um, this has to feel good. That I'm sure you had some impact on on, on these young kids. Well, I'm, uh, you know, if I did, that's great. Uh, I, I never try to take credit or anything, but 
I, one thing I will say about the Yankee organization, everything, the three years I've been over here, is we've had great, great kids come through the AAA level that I've been with this past year. Uh, Cody Ransom last year uh, had a great time with. You know, Shelly Duncan came on and, and put some things together and got to the big leagues and everything. So, you know, when those guys, uh, you know, even Justin Christian, uh, who was called up for the first time coming out of the independent league and working his way up through the ranks, finally gets the call to the big leagues. Those are the times that I, get, I almost get tears in my eyes when I get a chance to tell them that they're going to the big leagues for the first time. But, you know, the one thing in AAA I try to stress to these guys sometimes, it doesn't matter how long you've been around or how old you are or how young you are, there, there's a and – and maybe they don't like hearing it, but there's got to be a reason why they're in AAA. And if there's anything that I can do to help them along to get them over that hill and get them to the big leagues, hopefully to stay – then that's what my that's what I feel like my job is. But uh, just like Austin Jackson this past year and everything, what a tremendous kid he turned out to be and everything. And you're going to see him up there pretty soon and everything. But when you get Guardy to come up there and you get Cervelli and uh, Romero Pena and everything, I mean, man, just, just to watch him on TV and go, God, he was just down here the other the other week. And then we worked on this and that. So it, it's a very satisfying experience for me. And the one kid that I wanted to ask you about, because I, I haven't seen enough of him play, but I look at the box scores, that I think uh, gets a little overlooked when you talk about Yankees prospects is uh, Kevin Russo, the second baseman. Mm. Local Long Island kid, too. Uh, I, I tell you, I tell you what, I, I heard all about Kev before the season. I'd never seen him play. I didn't know him. The first time I met him was in spring training because he was invited to the big league spring training. And uh, what a quiet kid. <laughs> and I was told he was very quiet. Um but I tell you what, by the end of the year, he and I worked in the cage so much and everything, I couldn't shut him up. And I, I used to tease him about that. I said, you wouldn't say a word to me in spring training, and now I can't shut you up. And, but what a great kid. I mean, he does everything fundamentally sound mechanically at the plate that I'd love to see hitters do. And he had a tremendous season. He, um, I'll be honest with you, I think he's a kid that doesn't know how good he can be. And I, I think you're right. I think he does everything well, but just like where Brett Gardner's speed really stands out and makes him noticed, Roos does everything well where maybe he doesn't stand out as much because none of his tools really say, wow, you know what I mean? Like David Eckstein, is that a fair comparison? Yeah, but I, you know, and I like David Eckstein too. I love what he brings to the table. But if you grade it out across the board, you know, all the, the five, air, the five uh, tools, you know, you're looking at Roos being heads above what David Eckstein can do. His arm strength is much better. He, he can drive the ball. He's, a, he's probably as, as good as not a better hitter. Um, his defense is improving. That's probably an area that he's still trying to work on and everything right now. But he's, this kid's got all the tools. I was very impressed with Kevin Russo. He was our, you know, leadoff hitter all, all year long, hit over 300, well over 300. And just, uh, guys, guy, I mean, just had a magic wand. Guys were very, uh, I mean, he, the guys loved him. He was just that kind of kid, quiet. But just played hard every day. A gamer knew who, what you were getting every night. You came to the ballpark. And my, I, kind of, my kind of guy. Yeah, and Ramiro Pena, you mentioned. I mean, I know he came was sent down, and mm -hmm. they're, they're trying to get him to play a diff, bunch of different positions. Many people see him as a utility guy. I saw him a little bit in Trenton. I think he's got a nice stick too. I mean, he may not be as good a hitter as Russo, but you know that glove and that stick. I mean, I think right. he's another guy that's a little underrated there. Yeah, I can't say exactly what the organization is trying is trying to think about him. I just I'm, what I'm thinking is, and what I've kind of understood was that Derek Jeter's still going to be there for a number of years yet. You got Robinson Cano still playing second base, 
of course, you got A-Rod at third base. And, and, and Romero is the kind of kid that, you know, you look, he's got good tools. He's got a real good glove, good arm, can hit. And I'm trying to get him to, uh, just slow down some actions at the plate and everything to kind of get him a little bit more fundamentally sound. But, uh, this kid could be a player and he can be an everyday shortstop for some club in the big leagues. And I think that they like him enough where they're saying, well, if this kid can be an everyday guy and play number of positions, well, then it gives them the, the freedom to, to give Jeter, to give Cano or A-Rod or, you know, Melky or whatever a day off, you know, here and there and still getting plenty of the bats. So uh, he, he is a good-looking player. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up Juan Miranda. I like him, too. Mm. Uh, look, I know he's behind Teixeira. First yeah. base is not his his position uh, in this or uh, this team anyway. I know that he doesn't have a ton of outfield experience here, though I've heard he, he played it in Cuba. Um, mm. This kid probably should have been in the big leagues, in my opinion, this year, but you yeah. know, circumstances are such. Uh, you got to like this kid as a hitter. Uh, oh. I, you know, He should be starting somewhere, obviously, I think. Well, he's strong as a bull. Um, when he's right, his swing is short, and he creates a lot of power with his short swing, and he can use the whole field. As a matter of fact, I stay on him all the time about using the whole field because he'll have a tendency to get a little pull conscious and, you know, and try to hit some balls out of the ballpark instead of just letting it happen. But when he's going the other way and he's driving balls the other way, and he had a much better year this year staying with that approach, especially against left-handed pitching, and he hit, I think, 300 against lefties this year, and, um, what a what a good kid! What a good bat! Solid at first base. I mean, he's he's a good he's a big size kid and everything. But man, he's very nimble at first. And you're right, he he could he could be playing first base for some club in the big leagues right now every day, in my opinion. And it's a nice dilemma to have. And you know that's that's the dilemma we're in right now with Juan Miguel. And uh, it, it we'll we'll see. I think you know. He'll, he'll force their hands one way or another here, and Juan will be in the big league somewhere someday. We're going to see you uh, back in the big leagues, hitting coach somewhere. We'd love to see. I mean, you spent time in Milwaukee. Those guys hit. Uh, so what, yeah. what's what's in the future? Uh, what is what's what's the future for you, Butch? Do you have any what? anything you can share with us? Well, you know, just as I tell Mark Newman and, and Pat Rossler, our farm director, uh, they keep asking me every year, "Do I want to come back?" And I said, "Listen, I, unless a big league job comes along, where where and for me right now, it has to be the right fit." I love being a triple-A hitting coach with the Yankees. I don't see a future in the big league level because I love Kevin Long, and I know Kevin Long has done an outstanding job, and the guys really like what he does up there. And he, he's done a tremendous job. And Kevin and I go back a long way. He was my he was my coach in 2000 out in the Arizona Fall League when he was still with Kansas City, and just, just a tremendous person. Uh, and he knows the stuff. So you know, if the opportunity ever come along, I, I told my wife, I said, I would like to give the big leagues another another opportunity. But I am having so much fun right now being triple-A hitting coach with the Yankees that uh, if, if that opportunity doesn't come along, then I'm, I'm very happy and fortunate where I am right now. Well, Butch, it was a lot of fun. I know it's late on a Sunday night. Thank you so much for coming on with us. Tons of fun talking oh, to you. Oh, my pleasure. And let's let's do it again during uh, when time is down again, and we'll, we'll catch up with the next wave of Yankee prospects that I'm sure you'll have fun with next year. Thanks again. Anytime. Call me during the season if you have to. That's uh, <laughs> Butch Weiniger, former Yankees catcher.